It's time for the Hadit.com radio show. Hadit.com radio is an in-depth look at all things VA. If you need help with the VA, log on to Hadit.com. Now, here's your host, Gerald Cook. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, on this third day of May, 2018. We're here with our co-host, Jay Basser. And uh, today we have a special guest, Sherman Howard. And we're going to discuss some disabled veterans issues or whatever comes up. Uh, If any of y'all out there would like to call in, leave a question or comment, we'd be glad to try to answer it for you or get you to answer. The call-in number is 347-237-4819. That call-in number, once again, is 347-237-4819. And you'll get some lady, and after she talks a while, just hit the number one, and bring you right in the queue with us. So, uh, Chairman, how are you doing today? I'm doing great there, Mr. Cook and Mr. Basher. I want to thank you for allowing me to come on and talk today. Well, we're, we're proud to have you coming on. Uh, always glad to hear from our veterans out there, some that's been through the, the BA and dealt with them for a while and have some ideas uh what a lot of these poor veterans are running into when they file a claim or have to go get medical help. So it's uh, uh, anytime we can give them some words of wisdom, we try to. Thank you. I wanted to tell everybody out there listening that uh, sometimes I think things I say that are offensive to certain people. I want the VA to know that we, there's a lot of great employees there that work really hard and are dedicated to the to the mission and the vision of the VA, and we appreciate every one of them. There's a lot of veterans out there that get excellent care and get excellent service for their benefit, and we're so appreciative of that. There's a lot of us that don't. And today I'm going to talk about a couple of little issues that I've run across and uh, explain exactly where I'm coming from on those things. Just last uh, Friday on the 27th of uh, uh, April on National Public Radio uh, through a program called Here and Now, uh, a reporter called Eric Wester- Westervelt, W-E-S-T-E-R-V-E-L-T, did a story on VA employees' alle- uh, alleged contract fraud, whistleblower retaliation. And it talked about a veteran, that's a uh, disabled veteran, that uh, ran the engineering department in Indiana at one of the VA centers. And he uh, saw that they were using buying these water filtration systems that were just basically plastic with holes in them and had no filtration in them at all. And he reported it. And by him reporting it, he became a victim of whistleblower abuse and, um, and is still being abused by the VA uh, for his reporting of that. Um, that issue, a organization took up his case. It's called the Government Accountability Project. It's a it's a nonprofit, and uh, looked into the issues, and they found out that uh, one of the things that they do is that it, it, with this project, the Government Accountability Project, is they represent whistleblowers from all areas of the government. Every government agency that there, they they all handle a case for them, and look into it. And they had a really staggering figure. 40% of all government whistleblower retaliation cases that come to them are from the VA alone. That's 40% of every government agency in the nation are VA. So by using that number, and that was their number, uh, it was in the story. I suggest everybody go look it up uh, and listen to the story. Uh, I've been involved in the VA Medical Center in Atlanta when I first came in several years back. And I have uh, saw incompetence. When I first got there, the chief of police 
was under investigation. Well, when I first got there, there were three veterans that had committed suicide in the hospital. They were in the lockdown section uh, the, the, for uh, drug abuse, alcohol, suicide, and everything. They had been roaming the hospital, hitting the, the drug carts, and they committed suicide in the hospital. And uh, we had a big mess. And anyways, one of the it, our director was sent to be the acting visiting network director while they were investigating this and all. But the chief of police was be under investigation for having pornography on a computer. This investigation went on three years, and in three years, we had an acting chief of police every three to six months, where the VA paid for the person to come from a different state. They paid all his expenses or her expenses to come there, paid their food, their lodging, their transportation. We paid for them to be um, go home every two weeks on benevolently, and um, and it just shows a waste of money. Anyways, after three years of an investigation, they found the allegations not to be true, and so they didn't put him back as chief of police. They just put him over in an office somewhere and says, you just sit out the rest of your service here to the VA. He was making over six figures. So he sat over there, and then they started the uh, choice program. So they put him in as a choice ambassador at first, and then they made him where he's in charge of choice doctors. Uh, he goes out and supposedly hires doctors to do the choice program, which why do we have a chief of police? It's not specialty in doctors doing that, but that's just the VA way of doing things. But while I was there, I got in an issue, and uh, as for, unfortunately, veterans don't have the same protection as uh, employees do. But there was a, a a person that filed a whistleblower complaint about our VA donating thirty something thousand dollars, just donating it to a nonprofit uh, or for a ball or something in Atlanta. This person reported it, and immediately they were transferred from the third floor executive office to the eighth floor on the other side of the hospital into a patient room. They went in and took his records and changed his evaluations. They tried to demote him. This is a 30-year career veteran, sergeant major of high distinguished service and on. They tried to destroy his career. Man. This is what happens to whistleblowers one after another after another after another. And when we have zero amount of leadership at the top of the VA, then we we have continuing problems um, of just abuse by the lower levels. And if you listen to the story about this gentleman that uh, uh, in Indiana – you'll find that that's just the, the local levels have ultimate power to do whatever they want, whatever they want, however they want, and the veterans suffer immensely in the employees. Um, I think that's ridiculous, number one. But number two, it just goes to show that we need to have leadership at the VA, which we don't have. We haven't had General Shinshaki about this year. About this time, a few years back, General Shinshaki lost his job because um, or whatever issue it was, it was around Memorial Day. And we got the Bob McDonough, which was had been head of Procter Gamble, one of the largest corporations in the world, consumer products. It took about nine months for them to wear him down, and he followed in the line. We went without someone as soon as President Trump was elected. They basically abandoned the post in October. Trump came in in January. The last appointment was a Secretary of Veterans Affairs in the Trump administration. He's lasted about nine months or so. And now we're out without one again. And the criminals are running the lower levels. They don't know what they're doing, and the veterans are suffering immensely. Well, where's it all going to end, Sherman? Uh, well, let's look at some of the issues that we have down here in Georgia, where I'm at. Yeah. I first started out. I first started out in the Augusta Medical Center area. In that area, um, it was so terrible that I went to the Vision Seven Network and tried to get into another one, and I got into the Atlanta VA Medical Center, where it was a disaster. Now, these medical centers, the VA rates their medical centers every year several different ways, but they have one where they give them a star system. There's five stars for the 
top of the line excellent. One stars are for the bottom failing. In the Georgia network, three hospitals I'm going to go to, Augusta, Atlanta, and Dublin or Macon. They call it two different things. Augusta is a one-star facility. Atlanta is a two-star facility. And Macon is a one-star facility. Now, let's look at it sensible. If I was in high school or in school and I made a uh, – had a one star, that would be an F, A, B, C, D, E, F, five stars. Yeah. Five stars being an A, one star being an F. So we have two failing hospitals and one that's a D, which is basically failing too. Because if you, who wants to go to a doctor that's D rated and failing? A doctor yeah. in school, when they're in school, if they made a D, they would not be in medical school. They would be out. But nonetheless, that's what we're getting. Now, the chairman of the Veterans Affairs Committee on the Senate side, Senator Johnny Ixon, used to be the senior member before the, the Republicans took over. He became chairman. He's from the state of Georgia. He's a veteran himself. Where is Johnny Ixon? Even today, about finding a secretary of Veterans Affairs, where is Johnny Ixon? Nowhere to be found because he caters to the unions. And he caters to the government employees. He's an insider. And it's, we're suffering because of it. Uh, and who eventually suffers in the end? The veterans do. Every time the veterans suffer when we throw money away for transferring people and sticking them aside somewhere and just warehousing them. Um, it's just ridiculous. I would like to hear what other people say. You know, look at the same way as Arizona. Arizona started all the issues just recently with Shinsheki and all that, about schedule changing and all that. They were building a new medical center that was over a billion dollars over budget. Are you familiar with that? Yeah. It's a one-star facility. Again, who is in that state? A veteran that we love. He's a Navy man. We love him because he's a veteran, but that's John McCain. This was happening before he became very sick, but his his medical center in his own state was a one-star facility by the VA's own grading system, and they were a billion dollars over budget. In fact, that's the only project that's ever been taken away from the VA, and the Corps of Engineers took it over to finish it. Isn't that something? Now, how many veterans could we help? Billion dollars over budget. Because there's they, they there's no accountability. Tell me where there's accountability anywhere in the VA. Tell me, even though that they've got the permission to fire with the fire incompetent employees, have they actually done it? No. We, we it went through the House to Senate, but uh, there's no accountability when you have no leadership. A very weak leadership, and you let the the lower ranks run it, the unions run it, and and one of our biggest issues, or my biggest issues, and is that uh, the VSOs, the Veteran Service Organizations, the American Legion, the DAV, the, Amer- the Vietnam Veterans of America, uh, we can go on and on about them. Where are they at? They're our watchdogs. They're the ones that are supposed to be taking care of us. They're the ones that have dedicated themselves to that mission. Why have they allowed all these facilities to get like that? Why have they allowed um, us to, to continue to be the pounding block? You know, when people run for the Congress, the Senate, every position, president, they, we're going to take care of veterans. Veterans is their main issue. They all bring it up and everything. As soon as the election's over, the veterans are left aside. It's time that the veterans stood up and said, hey, I might be getting good care, but my brother next to me or my sister next to me is not, and this is not correct. We need to do something about it. Where I live in the mountains in North Georgia, there's a clinic called Blairsville, Georgia. It's a veterans clinic. For over two and a half years, they have not accepted any new veterans at all for health care there because they're short on doctors. So they haven't taken any veterans. I called the American Legion, the DAV, and all them. I got a hold of the Vietnam Veterans of America, and the, the guy was going out. He says, I'm the, I'm the 
president leaving, um, and he says, but I'm not really worried about that because I get health care through my my ex-job. He worked for the state government, and their biggest interest was getting a Huey helicopter for their park. That's their project, not taking care of veterans. To the south of Blairsville, Georgia, is a little town called Jasper, Georgia. It's not little. It's growing big like everything else. They're two and a half years behind on even breaking ground for a clinic there. Two and a half years that they haven't even broken ground on the clinic from the date that they were supposed to. Where are the VSOs? Where are our communities saying, wait a minute, this is not right. This is not the way to treat our American warriors, our heroes, our people that have served unselfishly. Well, the heads of those organizations, Chairman, should have a, a direct connection to the uh, uh, Secretary of the VA. Um, but when they're in Washington, they become Washington. They become I'm, embedded. I'm, they're worried. I'm, yeah, you're right. They're worried more about their their um, their little hats with their pins on it and their balls and who they get to be seen with and stuff. I'm an advocate at our hospital and, and have been for a while. And every week, every month, the VSOs came and met with the director when I was there. I used to meet with the director a lot. And they'd put private, they'd block off parking spaces for them, and they would come up there and they would sit there and eat their cake and cookies and have their tea and coffee and sit there for an hour and a half meeting or something that was designed. The VA would make a presentation to them about oh, we're, what we're doing for this project or that project or something, and then they would go. They didn't, they didn't go there and call them to table and say, hey, wait a minute, what's happening here? Why is it taking three years to investigate the, uh, this particular whistleblower? Or why is it taking this long to get this fixed? Or why is it taking two and a half years to break ground when this is what you promised us, this is what you told us was going to happen? Why is it that we don't have doctors up there? Why are we spending $800,000 on a security fence around our building or our parking lots when the parking lot right next door, which is the Veterans Benefits Office, is the same as ours, but they don't have any money budgeted for theirs? You know? So (laughs) if somebody's going to commit suicide, they'll just walk across the street and jump off that building. You know, why do we spend $800,000 on that, but we can't spend the money on getting our clinic up and running? or hiring five doctors at that price or something. Just don't make sense. It's abuse. Uh, it's it's got to be abuse with loading their pockets. They found a way to load their pockets full with no accountability. It's like... Uh, it's horrible. There just cannot be any acceptable excuse. It's it's abuse with complicity from the VSOs, our very service organizations that are supposed to be our guardians, that are supposed to be our watchdogs, that instead of standing up fighting for us because they chose to do it, they volunteered to do it, instead of standing up fighting, they became embedded with them, and therefore we, the rest of the people, suffer. Um, Maybe I can go a little bit further and explain. While the sergeant major was being tortured and punished and abused at the VA Medical Center because he did the right thing and reported waste and fraud, and while they were changing his records, doing everything they could to him to discredit him, there were several other investigations going on with whistleblowers there at the medical center. All of them were found by the inspector general which is a separate organization from the VA, to be true, that this is what happened. I had an issue, too, that I had, but unfortunately, as a veteran, veterans have zero amount of rights. We have no rights. We have no real representation, and I'll get into that in a second. But nonetheless, while this was going on, they were vetting this person to be the Vision 7 network director. Now, this is a person that, that... that did this to a veteran and did this to the other whistleblowers, and they got in doing it to me. There was investigations going on through the general counsel's office, the inspector general's office, and the special counsel's office to be found to be true, but yet that person was vetted and moved into the Vision 7 network director, which oversees Georgia, Alabama, and South Carolina. 
Now Alabama down in Montgomery has the worst thing. We've had we've had a rotating door on directors. We have more acting people than we have people. It's a leadership problem. When you take people and promote them on a merit system instead of own merit, and we're not hiring the best people in, to run our clinics and to run our hospitals and to run our facilities, then this is what we get. And when incompetence is there, cover-up begins and ways to try to destroy the very people that are working hard to make sure that the veterans get what they deserve. There's a thing that all of us get when we first join the uh, the healthcare system um, in the VA. Uh, there's a book. I don't know if you got yours, but it's a, it's called the Veterans Health Benefit Handbook. Yeah, I think. Uh, yeah, I think I did get one. It was used. Uh, yeah. Part of the pages were gone. I don't know. Well, it's on the. It, it should be online, but I doubt it. But here's the first. Here's the first paragraph in it. You have enrolled in the country's largest and most comprehensive health care system. The goal of the VA health care system is to achieve excellence in patient care and customer satisfaction. Our mission is singular, to serve veterans by providing the highest quality health care available anywhere in the world. American veterans and their families deserve nothing less. That's the first paragraph. The second paragraph goes, think of this veteran's health Benefits Handbook is an extension of our relationship with you as a member of the VA community. We have organized the content so that you can find these inf- information you need quickly, and we have made it easy to reach us if you need more guidance. That's their own words. <laughs> they need to read them. Well, they need not to read them. They need to understand them and practice them. Yeah. There's a difference between reading them and comprehending what they mean and then putting it into motion. And, wow. um, in fact, when I was up in the director's office one day and one of the ladies were talking to me up there about something and I quoted the health care handbook and she says, you read too much. And I said, look, I read the instructions just like I would when I was in the military to read the instructions, find out what, what it was and how it was supposed to be used and done and repaired and fixed and reported and things like that. Those are those are the those are the guidelines that you go by. You know, it's it's amazing what goes on. There's another thing that came out and when I wrote General Shinsheki a long time ago I complained about the patient advocacy system. I said that veterans have no rights. And the veterans have very few rights, really. But we have a thing called the patient advocacy system, and it's in our health care handbook, and it's also in online. It says if you have a complaint, concern, or compliment, that you're to go to your health care team or your patient advocate and it, report it. And, and it's their job to resolve the issue. And if you're being exploited, abused, and neglected, to report it. Believe it or not, for the past four years, I've been reporting that I've been neglected, abused, and exploited all the way up to the Secretary of Health, to the Secretary of the VA, through their line, and not one person has ever responded and acted back. But in 2015, the Inspector General of the VA did an investigation of the patient advocacy system in the VA. They found it to be a colossal failure. They made recommendations. In 2016, they came back and did another investigation. They filed the report on March 31, 2017, called Veterans Health Administration Audit of the Patient Advocacy Program. It's number 15-05379-146. This is, in it. This is the, uh, the report that the Inspector General put out. Their first comment was in the report that they found that 33% of the patient advocacy reports of veterans reporting to patient advocacies were wrong or not resolved at all. They were just discarded, not even processed. 33%, they went to six different VA medical centers around the nation in different visions, and they found the colossal failure. 33% on average were not even processed. Then they found that the people that were patient advocates didn't know how to fill out the paperwork or the computer entering the computer and all, so they, were in, they weren't even entering the computer, but they were putting in the next day that the issue was resolved when it wasn't. 
They also found, and I encourage everyone to go read the Inspector General report, they also found that um, that the, uh, the, the patient advocacy system continues to be a colossal failure, that, that, that un, unqualified people, untrained and uneducated people, and that the veterans were suffering because of it. That, that says something about that's our only avenue as veterans in health care to go and resolve an issue. It talks yeah. about that's the, that's the first process in going through and doing that. And um, it's just amazing. And then, of course, the Secretary of Health in the Office of Info- the acting head of Office of Information Technology goes and says, oh, well, we, we take these recommendations serious and we're going to do this and that. And, but that's what they said in 2015. They came back and said the same thing in 2017. But we're going every day, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. We have veterans that need care, that need issues resolved, that need to be taken care of. And what happens is the patient advocacy system, the patient advocates report directly to the director of a medical center. That's their boss. The medical center doesn't want that information to get up to Washington or anywhere else that they've got problems or stuff, so they bury it. And when there's no quality controls, as our, our, our I guess a quality control should be our VSOs um, and that's oversight, then they can do whatever they want to do. Does any of this make oh, sense? Am I just talking it, in it, circles or something? No, it makes sense. It don't make sense. I mean, and, uh, because why would you have a patient advocate that don't do nothing? They don't know how to do nothing, evidently. Or they don't know where to turn to. Or we had a, what, what they did is they took people that were that we're in the union. See, well, unfortunately, we have a union. Every organ, the nurses have a union. The government employees, workers is a union. So the union looks out for the union. And even though veterans are members of the union, that they're, they're protecting their own selves and their own jobs. If there's an incompetent worker, we had an incompetent worker at our hospital that had filed a complaint, I think, with the EEO office. They didn't know what to do with her. They put her up in the executive offices to do stuff. Finally, they put her in, in our in our book as a patient advocate. She had no right or knowledge to be a patient advocate. They put her at the outside the executive offices uh, as the reception desk receptionist. It, it always amazed me. You'd go in there. She wore her house shoes to work. Now she's the she's the front door of our executive offices, and she's there in her house shoes. And she was a mean old grumpy lady that had no kind of personality or any way of dealing with people. She couldn't deal with people very well. She's our patient advocate, supposedly. She's the front door of our leadership. And uh, and she, she goes, you know, when a veteran would come up there, I'd sit up there sometime, and a veteran would come up there and have an issue, and she says, well, I'm the gatekeeper. I'll decide whether or not you see so-and-so or something. Finally, there was so much complaints about her that they moved her. They moved her down to the to a non-contact. She could have non-contact with veterans. Now, she's working in a veterans hospital, supposedly working for veterans, but she can't have contact with veterans because of her attitude, because of her capabilities. And they put her in charge of lost and found. Instead of saying, ma'am, I'm sorry, but you don't make the standards for working at the VA. We're going to retire you or we're going to do something, but we're not going to keep your terminal cancerous ways around here. We're going to let you go and, and, and give you a recommendation, hope you go somewhere else and find a job. Because it should be, number one, the greatest honor in this nation to be chosen to serve the veterans of this country. There should be no greater honor in this nation. And number two, the Veterans Administration should be the gold standard of how government should operate. We should be the gold standard to say we're nonpartisan, we're veteran-oriented, that's what we're about, and we're going to have the best people, and we're going to show how the the rest of the government, how we operate under a budget, how we have the best of the best, we filter out the worst, and the union should be supporting us in this mission. The VSO should be supporting us in this mission. Veterans are tired. They're sick. Their families are tired. Their families have issues, and we shouldn't have to fight to get an extra pair of 
insoles for our shoes or another pair of prosthetic socks or a bed or a wheelchair fix or all those things. It should be, yes, sir, Mr. So-and-so, let us make sure we get that taken care of. And the patient advocate, if there is an issue, should be able to go to the patient advocate and say, I've got an issue, and that patient advocate should say, I'll have that resolved for you before you leave. In fact, the comment card on the patient advocacy card at the Atlanta VA Medical Center, and it's been there through three directors, it's the same card, it says, we guarantee satisfaction before you leave the hospital, end quote. That's what it says on their comment card. Oh, what a joke. Yeah, and you ask them what it means, and they said, well, it doesn't really mean anything. It just it looks good. You know? What? <laughs> you don't want to look good. You want to get results. We had at the Atlanta VA Medical Center in human resources, they were vetting people. I'm sure everybody knows what the vetting is to find out if they're good and qualified to work at the VA Medical Center. They were supposed to be vetting new hiree employees before they hire them. Two people that worked in human resources that did this. Uh, an investigation came out through the IG and another one, found out that they weren't vetting people, that we had hired hundreds of people that had not been vetted, people that had criminal records, were drug addicts, had uh, a spousal abuse or, or been abusive, and we hired them because they didn't properly or didn't vet them at all, okay? Now, those are people that we put in there with drug carts around, with all kind of stuff going on, and we've hired criminals and people that did that. Believe it or not, those two people, after the, the, the inspector report came out, got promoted to the Business 7 Network to work there. Again, that, they put them, instead of over one hospital, they put them up there in over three states of the medical centers. Oh, and we wonder my. why there's a problem. So just at the, and, and then we had another one, and this started the national thing about uh, uh, for disability claims and, and uh, people. It, uh, it's called enrollment, and it was here in Georgia too, a national enrollment center. So if you came into the VA system, you had to enroll through the enrollment system to get into the system. I think you remember there was literally hundreds of thousands of people in backlog to get enrolled into the VA healthcare system. That's they true. Proved it. They proved yeah. that hundreds or thousands of veterans actually died before they got enrolled into the system. Okay? Yeah. That person that was in charge of that center got promoted. Guess where to? The Vision 7 Network office. So she's working there now. Unreal. So we have a person that was a director of a medical center that was a one a two-star facility that had retaliated against whistleblowers, retaliated against veterans, ran an office of terror, and in the middle of it being investigated and found guilty in those things, gets vetted and promoted. A person, two people, is in charge of vetting employees before they come to work for the VA because once they come to work, they become unionized employees and you can't get rid of them. They didn't vet them, hundreds of them. They get promoted to the Vision 7 Network. A person in charge of the, of the enrollment, national enrollment, where hundreds of thousands of veterans are backlogged. Veterans are actually dying before they can even get in the system to get care. That person gets promoted. I think what it should have been is those persons should have been fired for incompetence and dereliction of duty, and we should have got rid of them. Those people are making six-figure salaries and benefits. They're traveling all over the country at VA's expense. Why didn't we just say, go to court and sue us? We'd rather you go to court and sue us one time than for us to take your terminal, cancerous ways somewhere else and spread it. Around. Does that make sense? I'm I'm that, rattling that, on, and I tend to I tend to rattle on, but these are true things, and I'm willing to stand by everything I say. It's documented to <coughs> us. Well, I tell you, Sherman, that uh, why the VA top echelon 
obviously, why do they condone this type of stuff? Is it that they're that far out or that far above the rest of them that it, the water just don't get to them? Well, what? I can tell you that because I've been fortunate enough to deal with a lot of them. A lot of them move from job to job, back and forth, acting this, acting that. They change around. They move around. And they, and they, uh, the, the, in fact, in, in an office that you, uh, that you deal with a lot, the uh, benefit side, the secretary yeah. of benefit. Yeah. His, his TA, his right-hand person, his TA that travels with them and all, his or her, whoever's in charge of that office now, has a degree in political science. Now think about that. That's not in health care, not in administrative, uh, hospital administrative or business administrative, political science. And when I talk to them, they tell me, personally, they tell me, we are policy people. We deal with policies in Washington. We don't deal with the lower excellence. In fact, if you look at the, the supposedly White House hotline that's there, they, they, they just set up. When Trump got there, the White House, it's a VA hotline. The White House doesn't even have a liaison involved in it. It goes straight to the VA. It goes straight back down the chain of command. It goes straight back to the vision in the, in the hospitals or the network offices, whatever it is. And the VA policy, this is told to me by leadership, is that they, they feel that the, the local the local level, the people that created the problem, should be the one to resolve the problems. So they don't get involved in those issues. They're talking about policies and stuff. Now, the problem is, is, is there's a secret network of communication lines in the VA. Two years ago, in 2016, the Veterans Administration won the Golden Padlock Award. I don't know if you've heard of it, but it's an award given out to the most secretive government agency in the nation, every year the VA won it in 2016. They probably won it again. I don't know. I haven't looked it up. But they have these secret communication lines. I filed a FOIA request and I hit all their communication lines, all their secret lines, and everything. And I requested that information. Four years later, my stuff is still tied up in the general counsel's office, and they refuse to give it to me. Anything, <laughs> any of the stuff that I asked for, because I broke in. I'm not broke in. I. I got into and I figured out what their communications line were, what they were saying behind their back. And what they do is, you know, you go to the hotline. Now, there's a lot of people that get with issues resolved at the hotline. But when you have a 30 or 40% failure or 33% failure through the advocacy system, and that's what it goes through, to, off the top, just a 33% failure rate, according to the inspector general of the VA, then you got a problem. And, and, and it says right there they don't log the information, they don't report it, they just close cases, just to be closing them so that they say they got cases closed, then there's no one overseeing that. There's no one watching that. And and and, and they don't report back to you, hey, we we closed your case or you issued nothing. They just don't send you a letter and make a comment. And I, that's true. I don't know if you've experienced or other people out there have experienced those things, but that's what happens. I have uh, a bunch of information I put in for four years uh, to get them to release, and they, they won't release it either. Uh, they just release what they want to. If it's something they feel might be damaging later on, they won't release it. Uh, I, had a, I had a veteran call me the other day telling me that he did a four-year request because he got in a debate with a, a doctor at the medical center, and the doctor was disrespectful to him, and he reported him, and that started the whole chain of events. So finally he did a FOIA request. He gets his, he gets his paper back from the FOIA request, and everything on it is redacted except the date. Everything. It's, it's all black. You know? What is so secret and private in there that it should, you know, that it, it involves that veteran. It involves his health care. It involves his health. You know? But when there's no watchdog group and when you have no advocacy system that represents you and you have no, no, you know, a, a, an employee has the EEO office, they have the unions to represent them, there's a contract that's 300-something pages for the basic labor union, 200-something for the nurses union, and then the executive offices have their own 
contract, the veterans have none. We have nothing. The, spe- the general counsel of the VA, we can't go to the special, special counsel because that represents government employees all over the country. We have the general counsel at the VA. The general counsel's office tells me and has written me a letter, I have it, telling me, we do not represent veterans, we represent the VA and what's in the best interest of the VA. Unfortunately, the VA is not the veterans, which it should be. The VA is the Veterans Administration. They represent the administration, not the veterans. The veterans have no rights at all. We have no rights. We have no power. My, my, my FOIA request was done to a very top-notch lawyer firm that did it for me. We made six requests. They kept telling us to break it down. The more what we wanted, we finally did, and they finally sent us a letter back, one of them stating, in fact, over 40% of the, the, the things that we requested were misspelled. So as soon as there's a misspelled name or a word, it gets kicked out of the computer because it's the wrong, it's the wrong spelling, and they're looking for something else in the computer. They did that on purpose. I had them send a letter saying, I hope this was just a mistake and not a purposely done thing. So then we sent another request in. They sent back and says, we've got all the information you requested, but we're not giving it to you because you're going to use it for commercial use, even though we told them we weren't using it for commercial use, that we were using it for the best interest of the American people and the public to show how government operates. And it's still sitting in the general counsel's office, and there's nobody legally that will represent a veteran in these kind of cases because, number one, there's no money. You can't – if you go to federal court, it can go five years to get a FOIA request completed through, and there's no punitive damages. So no one's going to, to file. They know that. So they just stomp on the veterans because you have corrupt, incompetent people running facilities that should never be there to start with. Well, they've got it all figured out. They make the rules. And that's unfortunate because uh, the veterans uh, are suffering the consequences of these silly rules that they make up. Make makes you wonder uh, how some of them learn to stand up on their their two feet uh, and walk around. Uh, they wear their be- bedroom slippers. <laughs> I'm sorry about that. Damn, the lady that just tore me up. That lady, they put her at the reception desk for the executive office, and she worked in her bedroom slippers. She probably watches them now. <laughs> uh, she probably is. But, but uh, you know, I mean, this is just a shame. The executive offices don't. It's so confusing, and it's such a, a musical chairs, and they're so. They're so interested in having meetings and stuff. They're not down here in the actual trenches and listening to veterans and seeing what's going on. And like I said at the beginning of this this show, there's a lot of great people that work at the VA. I've seen them work their tail off, and they're the ones that people go to and demand even more from them because they know they're a go-to person, and they get burned out and they leave. In Atlanta... We've seen great people after great people leave the VA Medical Center and go to work for the CDC, which is in Atlanta, Georgia, too. And it has 30,000 employees there, and it's huge, and they can transfer over parallel there through the yeah. merit system. You know, we have a merit system in the VA that, that promotes on a lot of things. Number one, if you're disabled, you get points. If you're a minority, you get points. If you're this, you get points. If you get that, you get points. And unfortunately, when you have people that are applying for jobs that fresh out of college that studied hospital administration or this or that, they don't even apply at the VA. I've, I've gone to the to the job fairs at our local colleges and asked, why. number one, why the VA wasn't there. I went back and asked the VA, and they said, well, with no sense in us going there. And then you ask them people, why don't you go work for the VA? Have you ever thought about the VA? And they said, hey, look, the numbers are stacked against us to start with. You know, there's such a priority system in there that uh, we can't get it. We're not just competing with the people in Atlanta for another position higher. We're competing with everyone in the nation because once you read a GS certain certain thing, they'll transfer you and pay all your expenses to transfer. If you don't like living in Missouri, you can transfer to Seattle. If there's a position open and you have enough points and all, then you can get get priority over other people. Think about that system. Is that in the best interest of veterans? 
And they pay them good money, from what I understand. Oh, yeah, I think if you remember back a few years ago, there was two ladies that ran some yeah. kind of program. That's and they I decided that they promoted themselves and changed, moved their job to another state and paid themselves to move. Remember that? <laughs> that was yeah. hundreds of thousands of dollars. And then yeah. they got to keep their jobs. <laughs> Big money. <laughs> yeah, oh, I could retire on that kind of stuff. <laughs> We didn't, we didn't like Detroit anymore. We wanted to go to Fort Lauderdale, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> West Palm Beach has got a hospital. That's nicer. Hawaii. Yeah. You know? Yeah. If they don't like the job. They stay there six months, and they transfer back at, at taxpayers' expense again. It's a, it's a, it's a yeah. system that needs overhaul. And what we need to do is have, like right now, the Senate and the Congress are out. They just went on Easter break and spring break, and now they're out again on break. And what they need to do is seriously get down on these committees. We need to get committee chairmen that are committed to veterans instead of people like Johnny Ikeson. He's not going to run for Congress anymore. He, he just ran it his last time, and um, and he's not he's not interested in doing it. If you look at the 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 stuff that goes up before the Senate Veterans Affairs Committee, it's just ridiculous how they're they're operating. And, uh, you know, we need people up there that are committed to the cause of taking care of our nation's veterans. They keep making the promises every year when they're running, and it's time to do it, you know? And it's time to make the VA the gold standard. Somebody has to be the gold standard. I don't know. Uh, There are too few in Congress that will stand up for veterans. There are few, but there are not many. Uh and like you you said that Ison he he's got a bad track record. Uh need to get get rid of him. The fact that he's not running again is a blessing. Now who's gonna take his place? Well he's he's got five years in this position still. When when our congressman our senator left name, um, Saxby Chambers, they had they were running and they, they uh a guy named David Perdue was running for Senate, and they had a thing called a Veterans Forum on the other side of the state one day, and I heard it on the radio, and I drove all the way over to go to this Veterans Forum because they were going to have David Perdue and and Senator Ison and John McCain and all them there. And I get there, and what it was was a pep rally, and their only message was they didn't take any forum questions. They didn't do anything. It was a political rally at an American Legion, Post, and they said, look, we need to get David Perdue elected to the Senate of the United States of America so that we can get majority and, and that Johnny Ikeson can become chairman of the Veterans Affairs Committee. All they were worried about was the power. They weren't worried about working across the aisle with the Democrats. In the Veterans Affairs Committee, out of all the committees there is, all of them, there should be no partisanship at all. It should be what is in the best interest of our nation's veterans, the ones that have suffered and served in, in, in wartime and in peace and, and, and made sacrifices that people don't even know. There's stuff inside you. There's stuff inside John. There's stuff inside all of us that we know, that we went through, that we saw, that we did, that, were, that live in our hearts. And, and, and destructive in a lot of ways. We live with the pain and suffering. You know, and it should be a nonpartisan committee. If any committee in the whole government should be able to get along, it should be the Veterans Affairs Committee. And they should stand up and make sure that we're taken care of and that the, that it operates efficiently and professionally. Just my well, opinion. I'm pretty opinionated. To, they, they need to work on it more at we keep getting the wrong people in, in positions that uh, are meaningful and uh, uh, can do some good. Uh, we're getting the wrong people in there, and it's because they've lied and and uh, manipulated their way around until they they get into these these. Uh, Positions that they should be helping, in, instead of it's like they're plot, <coughs> plotting against us, uh, the veterans. 
it's not as much as plotting against us as it is, is following the powerful poverty lines, you know, and, and, and it's just, it's political. It's just political. Right now I'm sitting up in the mountains. I'm at a my cemetery by an old one-room church, um, and there's a cemetery here, and, I, and, I, and I'm thinking about this. You know, there's probably in the cemetery half of the people here are veterans or either have a veteran in this. In fact, everybody in this nation, Every person in this nation has a veteran in their family. If there's a person that's new to this country, say from Somalia or from Syria or from Kazakhstan, wherever, an American has served that country to try to help those people. We have served the world. And every family has a veteran in their family. All of us, just about, if we've been in this country long enough, have those triangular flags that are so honored. Well, they're not honored as much. My family, we have one, and I've raised Cain. At the, I was the gatekeeper of it, and I let my sister do it, and it wasn't out. And I, me and her got in a big fight. I said, that thing needs to be displayed, and that letter from President Franklin Roosevelt needs to be that frame sit right next to it and let them know what sacrifices people made. But unfortunately, the American people, we have other things going on in our lives. Our kids are growing up. We've got marriages and divorces going on. We've got baseball practice, and we've got the civic club, and we've got church. and We've got different things, and we forgot about the very people that have made this country great and served under the Constitution of this country. And the Constitution is very simple and fair. It tells us exactly what, you know, and, and, and and, you know, unfortunately, people don't stand up and fight. You know, there's certain people that stand up and fight, and they should, you know, for their rights, women's suffrages or or the uh, or slavery issues or whatever the issues are, people stand up and fight. But veterans don't because we're tired of fighting. Why do we want to fight our own country? We fought for it. Why do we want to fight against it? That doesn't That's make right. any sense. And we're not going to unite because our uniters are the American Legion, the DAV, the uh, VS, all the VSOs, uh, whatever they are. You know, there's there's a bunch of them that are recognized. You see them on TV asking for money, telling how they're going to provide all these services for veterans. You know, and yes. it's uh, so and let, just let ridiculous. Huh? Let me let, let's say let's. Uh, Take our hats off to the military of Purple Heart. May they rest in peace. <laughs> yeah, they, they fold up shut doors. <laughs> you know, I missed something there. The mom. they closed the Purple Heart, yeah, huh? Yep. Yeah, they're shutting the doors. Well, they'll probably go after the the the, the uh, what is it? The gold. Um, Stars and them next, you know. Well, probably will be. But, but uh, you know, I mean, we're, about- it, 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 we've got chapters of the of those VSOs all over. You know, the one up here where I live, the the American Legion, they're worried about their fish fry on Friday night. You know, their bingo game, or their bar tabs. You know, they're not worried about veterans in their community. If they did, we would have we wouldn't be going two and a half. In fact. Actually, on the other side of the state line, North Carolina, right across, is a place called Murphy or Franklin, North Carolina. That they they operate out of the Asheville Clinic or Asheville Hospital. They haven't taken veterans in over two years at that clinic because they didn't have doctors. And when I was talking to them recently, they were so proud because they finally hired a nurse practitioner, and they're going to be able to take a few new veterans in. Isn't that unreal? It's unreal, and leadership seems to be totally blind to it. They they tend not to care. They tend not to understand. Well, you can't run a clinic if you don't have the medical personnel. Right, but guess who runs the clinic? The people that the, at the at the at the uh, at the local hospitals run all these clinics up here, and build them and do all that stuff. They're the ones that are having problems with their own. They can't even manage their own self, more or less the uh, satellite office, you know. And then, and then, who's in charge of them? In the visiting network, the same criminals that were so criminal that they transferred them out of the hospital positions and put them in that because they say we can't fire them, we can't get rid of them, 
So what we do, we put them up here where they're in non-contact with veterans' issues, you know, and we'll put them up here and hope that things get better, you know. I wrote a letter to Senator Ixon, and I was talking about terminal. It's like terminal cancer. If you spread it around, it's going to spread. If you, you know, you got, you know, you, in cancer, you got to cut it out before it gets bad and spreads, you know. And I, and I actually, in the letter, I referred to it as it's doing this. The way the VA does it is like ISIS. It's destroying us from within, you know. We're no better than ISIS. Because we're destroying ourselves from within. We've got poor leadership. We've got incompetent leadership. We've got unlimited budgets. Pretty soon there'll be another budget vote for the summer. And I can guarantee you because they've done it every budget vote from here now, they'll want to go back and get $2 billion more because they'll say the choice program's going broke. And if if we don't get money for them, then veterans won't be able to go to the outside and get medical care. And so... The last minute of the last day before the Senate takes off for summer vacation, they'll they'll pass another $2 billion. They've done it for the past couple of years. Look back. I'm telling mm-hmm. the truth. They do it every time. Yep. And they do it the last minute of the last day, and they say, we're doing it because of veterans. But they're not looking at why every year we come up $2 billion short. Um, Sherman, do you know what's worse than stepping on a rattlesnake? Uh, no, sir, I don't. Step into a dinner rattlesnake. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine that. Um, but you know, you know, what do we do? We, we somehow we've got to get the VSO to, to look in the mirror and admit their fault and be big and man enough. You know. Sorry about mm. that. My dog's gonna howl here and come by, and I and I got a Walker <laughs> Hickman dog. Hey, you uh, have you have you ever sat down and read the bylaws of these veteran service organizations? Uh, I've read a little bit of them, but not a whole lot because you know what? You need to read them all. You need to read them all. all right. You need to see where their true allegiance lies. You need to see where their true allegiance lies, it, with the lies within the Department of Veteran Affairs. Sure, because that's who that's who's giving them the power to be there. Mm-hmm. And if they don't fall in line, then they they're no longer allowed. You know, it's it's the same with any organization or something. You know, people get complacent after a while. Those people up in Washington have worked their way through the local chapters, and they've done the, their due diligence doing the right thing so that they can get elected and promoted and all that stuff. And, um, you know, mm-hmm. it's just it's the way it is. And, unfortunately, we don't go back and say, hey, you know, it's kind of, let's look at something simple. Uh, the past year, I think it's the seventh fleet in the, in the, in the Pacific, we had two crashes yep. where, ve- where military people died, right? Are you yeah. familiar with that? Yep. All right. Well, what John happens McCain the first thing? Right. What happens when when the first thing that happens when when they have a crash and the um, the uh, investigation starts? They take the captain of that ship and they remove that captain. I was on a ship that pulled out of Boston one time. We were in dry dock. We pulled out. We ran into Deer Island. That captain never got. We never got off the island before that captain was gone. And the navigational officer. And we take those people and we get rid of them, and they no longer are capable of getting promoted, and they'll never make another rank. They pretty much retire, and they're gone. And what happened in the, in, in the Pacific Coast, it took a little bit longer. It did take a year, but about a year. The admiral in charge of that, uh, that uh, fleet is gone. He won't, become a, he won't get another star. He'll retire. He'll be gone. So in the VA, we promote them and say, well, you've done such a terrible job here overlooking 95,000 veterans and 4,000 employees. We're going to put you in charge of 400,000 veterans and 10,000 employees or 20,000 employees. Think about that. And we hope you, you can guide this ship a little better than you guided the last one. Sherman, you remember the term Bohemian? Huh? Say, Sherman. 
You remember the, yes, sir. You remember the term Bohica in the Navy? Yes, sir. Bend over. Here it comes again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, we're down to 16 seconds here. Uh, we're going to have to shut it down. Sherman, we appreciate yep. you coming on. Well, I tend to rattle, and I hope I didn't um, say too much of the wrong things, but, you know, it's time to vet well, you stood sure up. didn't. You, you said you called it right. What needed to be said. Yeah. Well, go to the NPR, Eric Westerfelt, and NPR uh, now and later, and listen to his story and see. Those are, those are liberal press telling us something. <laughs> yeah. But, thank you, uh, Mr. Cook. Thank you, Don. Well, All right, but thank you. Uh, we want to get you back on sometime, Chairman. By golly, you've kept us, uh, give us a lot of good information. And uh, well, let's hope they get that Georgia area down there squared away. They sure well, need we it. Just, we just need to unite. <laughs> yes, we do. Thank you. Thank you for your service to our country, and thank you for this show. Have a great evening. And thank you, Sherman. Right. I'm going to go watch the sunset go over the mountains. <laughs> okay. Let that hound run. Yeah, we're going to send it to you down there in Missouri for y'all to watch it in another hour or two. Oh, okay. I'm looking. <laughs> All right. Thank All right. you. Right. in your way. <laughs> All right. Thanks a lot. Well, that's it. They done locked this it. out, John. <laughs> yeah, they, they pulled the plug. <laughs> they pulled the bug. Hey, we'll shut her down. I'll call you back later. Okay. We'll All right. Shut her. End episode. Ain't that what we do? Yeah. Yep. And Clark. Uh,